All righty. Good morning. We'll get started. Grab your Bibles with me. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. As you're settling in and finishing up your conversations, we'll get started here. And there's nothing like a word of prayer to help people get settled in. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We always pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see your truth. And we pray, God, that you would uh, show us Christ and speak to us individually. You have something to say. That's the whole point of getting together, to hear your voice, to have life, to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there is a phrase that we Christians have coined for those certain circumstances that come along that seem to have been supernaturally set up. Um, The world might call it a coincidence, but we call it for what it is, a divine appointment. Now, we say things like that when we run into the right person at exactly the right moment for just the right reason. And it all has this sense of destiny about it. Now, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9 says that that our footsteps are ordered by the Lord, but sometimes it's just easier to see that truth than others. Now, one of those times, a favorite time of mine, uh, speaking of divine appointments, uh, happened many years ago now. It was when we were living in Petaluma. I was an associate pastor there. Uh, it was a midweek service, evening Bible study, and uh, I ran into a young man who was sitting next to me who told me the truth. He said, you know what? I don't even know what I'm doing in church. I'm running from the Lord. I said, well, you're doing good so far. You are (laughs) in a place where he could be found or could find you, rather. And he said, uh, I said, why don't we do coffee or lunch, and I can encourage you a little bit. So sure enough, we scheduled an appointment, but he, unbelievable, stood me up. (laughs) Unbelievable. Hardly ever happens (laughs) in that regard. (laughs) And so then uh, the next few days, I ran right into him, smack right into him, downtown Petaluma, just out on a random errand, and there we are. And he looked at me and goes, man, the Lord is really after me. (laughs) And I said, you think? And so it was like, yeah, 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 we'll get together. And then a few days later, it was at Costco. Right around the corner, just, I just turned a corner, and there he is, and we're looking at each other. And uh, I said, bro, seriously? <laughs> and then there was strike three, the grand finale. Oh, this is, this is a good one. Uh, it was an, yeah, kind of an early evening. Barb was home with the ladies' ministry uh, meeting at the house. So all those ladies I needed to skedaddle. And so I was just going to take a random drive. So I got in the car, and I wanted to drive out D Street all the way out to Samuel P. Just a pretty drive. Uh, Samuel P. Park is a beautiful place. I was going to hang out there. But what happened is suddenly I saw Helen Putnam Park sign 
just kind of pop up. And I was like, oh, I've been meaning to check that out. And I literally swerved to get into the parking lot because my kids had just been there on a field trip and I didn't know where it was and wanted to see it out of curiosity. But I drive up, that was fairly disappointing because there's just a parking lot and some hills, not a car, not a soul in sight. I got out of the car in the parking lot and I just stood there and I remember feeling a little eerie. What am I, what am I doing here? Why well, don't get back in the car? At that point, I heard a little sound, jangling. And I look up in the distant hill there, there's a mountain biker making his way, bouncing down the hill. So for some reason, I'm transfixed. I'm like, whoa, like I'd never seen a mountain biker before. <laughs> and I'm like watching him. And he come, takes a few minutes, comes down the hill, and he's headed straight for me. And he comes into the parking lot, comes straight down the path, and I'm getting a little nervous. What is he heading in my direction for? He stops the bike with the front tire going between my feet. He takes off his helmet and his sunglasses. It's him. <laughs> it's not often I'm speechless. <laughs> I had a moment there where I was like, Uh, and I'm, I'm remembering how I wasn't even planning on going there and how I swerved the wheel at the last second and the feeling of, what am I doing here? Feeling, and all of that started like dominoes going over in my mind, and he's there. Well, it's like, you know what? I know what needed to happen. So I said, uh, dude, we need to talk. And so I started sharing the good news about Jesus with him. That was the, the common sense thing to do, amen? Amen. Well, in this morning's text, Philip, our deacon turned evangelist, has just finished up a, a, a wonderful Billy Graham crusade of sorts in Samaria. And he's had massive crowds, dynamic ministry. He's, uh, the, the whole region has accepted the word of God. They're getting saved. The Holy Spirit is coming upon them. There's wonderful ways to show the Jewish believers and the Samaritan believers that there's no two churches. There's one church. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, it said, Samaria was filled with joy. So there's this joy. And as things are settling down there with Philip, that's when it happens. The divine appointment starts to come into motion. And as a result, the gospel, for the very first time, as I said in the opening, the gospel in Christian form, in the heart of a believer who's born again, very first time it's going to leave Israel for the utmost parts of the world. And so, verse 1. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit now tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot 
and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch, incidentally, a eunuch is somebody who renounces marriage for the sake of a royal position. All right? So this royal dignitary uh, was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth in humiliation. He was deprived of justice, and who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. Now the eunuch asked Philip, okay, so tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Is it him or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So we're going to pause there. We're going to reflect on this wonderful account here. Very intriguing ideas thought. It's pretty easy, too. I mean, a guy hears what the Lord has to say. He does it, and amazing things happen. I mean, you could look at it that way. In this account, we see a few things, though, going on. And if you're taking notes uh, to help you, number one, we're going to talk about a lonely road. Number two, a seeking soul. And number three, the good news that needs to be told. All right, sometimes when there's a little bit of rhyme, it'll help you kind of remember them, hopefully. Right? You want to give it a go? What are the three points? A lonely road, a seeking soul, and some good news need to be... Yeah, too many words in that third one, right? (laughs) All right, it's the thought that counts, amen? So, some first, some context. Now, the good news about Jesus Christ is going to go viral here, just like the Lord had wanted. It's going to go to the deep, dark heart of Africa. Uh, The whole point, everything, 66 books, what is it, Uh, 1,189 chapters, 3,100, 103 verses, 40 different God-inspired writers writing over a period of 1,500 years. One message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Even when the Lord chose the Jews, he did so telling the Jews in Genesis chapter 12, the progenitor of the Jews, yes, you're going to be blessed. Yes, I'm choosing you. But through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so God has always had in his viewfinder the soul's of mankind. And so it's time to take the gospel that saves 
It's the method of how we're saved. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God to take it to the world. You know, that's what the Lord said. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, it's time to take it to the ends of the earth. Now, the church was born in Acts chapter 2. It is now Acts chapter 8. There have been five years that have gone by, and the church is only at Jerusalem. The Lord wants them to expand. And so until chapter 8 and verse 4, they were stuck. Verse 4 says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered, and everywhere they went, they preached the word of God. And so God turned up the heat. We talked about this last week. You know, he set the the one uh, sequoia tree of the church of God there in Jerusalem. He set it ablaze with fire, and the little eaglets were forced to, to jump for their very lives and to fly. And fly they did to Samaria and to Judea, but there's one place left to the ends of the earth, as the saying goes in King James, to the ends of the earth, to the uttermost parts of the world. Now, it's headed to ancient Ethiopia, and just so you know, ancient biblical Ethiopia was not the same as Ethiopia today. Uh, It was much larger and and comprised southern Egypt into the Sudan. This man has traveled 800 to 1,200 miles one way and back. Now he's headed. And so that's this divine appointment is really significant because it's the gospel going in obedience to God's command to the uttermost part of the world, and that will begin in Africa. So notice, first of all, it begins with a call down a lonely road. But what I first want you to see is it begins with a call through the lips of an angel. That to me, I just don't get past lines like that. Well, so what are you talking about, God, that you are involving me and us and Philip and ordinary guys who just want to volunteer in the kitchen with, with, with the heavenly hosts? who are on a mission from God to save the world. We get to be co-laborers with God. I don't know, just let it, let it sink in that this angel, though he could do a pretty good job of communicating the gospel to this Ethiopian, he's assisting and getting Philip, a fallen human being now born again, involved in the process. That to me is unbelievable. Don't, don't miss the awe here. The redemption of the world is a team effort gone involving us with the heavenly host. Look, angels are all over the place uh, in Luke and in what Luke wrote, Acts. All right, we see angels announcing the birth of the Messiah, angels and visions. Twice, Jesus is strengthened by angels. They're rolling away stones. They're, They're assisting the apostles in jailbreaks twice. Uh, They're striking down the bad guys, Acts 12. They're encouraging Paul on the open seas there. They're involved. And now this, Philip, go down that road. You know, that's a pretty amazing thing. And then all the angels are like, man, did he get the message? Is he going? Is he doing it? Because they passed the baton of eternal life 
Because God knows there's a soul down that road that needs the information, the gospel. And the Lord Jesus doesn't appear. And the angel doesn't get to do the job. The angel's going to get the assist. And who's going to score the goal? Philip. Philip scores the goal. The angel gets an assist. They're here with us. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. They are among us. They worship with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. They are in the assembly with us. They're pointing and prompting and helping. And we saw the list that they've been doing in Luke in the book of Acts. And we get to work with them and with God. That's just an amazing thing. Assisted and set up by angels, lost souls are drawn by the Father, they're saved by the Son, they're convicted and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and it's so that it's through our lips and our lives that eternal life manifests in them. I see that as really God's diss to his enemy, the devil, who tried to destroy us. So what does God say? I'm going to conquer you and your kingdom and save the world that you destroyed with the help of the very ones you deceived. Your victims will be the victors. I mean, that, that's an honor, privilege, a sacred, sacred trust. I'm just, I, I just can't get past those kinds of things. So we have a part to play, and so did Philip, and it had to do with going down the lonely road. So that's where we're at going down the lonely road. He says, go south, the desert road, the one that heads up to Gaza. Now, Philip may have good news in his heart. He's got the gospel, but you know what? This wasn't good news. This wasn't good news. He just, lived, he just has a thriving ministry. There's people everywhere. There's ample water. There's shade. There's resources. There's friends and family. There's a lot of stuff. There are our farmers' market stands. There, uh, all right. When he said, take the desert road, listen, folks, there's nothing on that road. It's a desert road. You know what's on the road? Cactus, rocks, sagebrush, uh, sidewinders. You know, that's it. A little water here and there, you're good to go. This road stretched into Africa, seamless, endless. There's no questions from Philip. No questions, is this a short-term or long-term missionary endeavor? You know, no, no, no. <laughs> um, excuse me, Angel, but I, I don't do well with the heat. You know, um, I'm just like a little, uh, anything wrong with the northern road? Any lost souls up there? You know, he doesn't do that. It's blistering hot. It's uncomfortable. It's a lonely road. The people are gone. No more affirmation. Ministry opportunities. Where am I going to meet a nice girl down there? I'm going to find a girl, settle down. Uh, how about me in this? All right? Sorry. Well, whole reason God directed the angel to Philip because we know who Philip is. He's just a yes, Lord kind of guy. There's nothing he says. He doesn't say anything. Well, what about this and how much of that? And can I get it like map quested out? You know, can I just see where am I going? How long am I staying there? Am I going to Ethiopia? You know, oh, there's nothing in Gaza. Did you know that? Gaza's been destroyed. There's just ruins. There's nothing down this road. And Philip says, okay, because he's a servant. He's a servant. God's got the right man. Of course. Are you really surprised that Philip would go down the lonely road that nobody wants to take? I wasn't. 
He took the job that nobody else wanted to take. Back with the problem with the widows, back in the kitchen or the basement. He didn't have a problem there. He also preached the gospel where nobody else wanted to go. No Jew in his right mind would go into Samaria. Philip, yeah, Philip goes there. And so go get Philip. He'll go down the road that nobody else wants to travel. G. Campbell Morgan, great guy, he wrote, if Christ is hindered, it's because some Philip is not willing to go down the lonely road. Now, yes, of course, I hear you. There are practical concerns. How many of you did uh, that just apply to? Yeah, you don't have to identify yourself. (laughs) There are practical concerns, but guess what? There's something more important than practical concerns. It's called obedience in faith. Obedience in faith is more important than practical concerns. A lot of times, God just does the way God is. And if you want to know why he's like that, you can ask him when you see him, you have an appointment. (laughs) Abraham, I want you to get up and go. All right, where am I going? I'll tell you. When are you going to tell me? As you go. Well, any direction? Yeah, go. Wow. That's how he is sometimes. That's how he is. So God's got the right man, and he's going down a southern desert road, and he has a purpose. You know why? Because he sees somebody down there who's in need. There's just one soul, one soul for whom Christ died, who's seeking, is empty, and is crying out to God for truth. And he goes, I got the guy to go find you where you're at. He doesn't mind going down that road, because he's probably figured out, I've got a very good reason, and I'll take care of him. And so, you know, sometimes we don't choose our roads, you know? I, I think of Paul taking the broken road to jail, And what did he say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12? He said, just so you know, yeah, I'm in jail, but this has really actually turned out to advance the cause of Christ. Verse 13, for the whole palace guard is aware of my Christian testimony here. People are getting saved. The Lord says, I've got some hungry souls who are lost and going to hell, but they unfortunately live in a palace with Caesar. I need somebody to take the southern road into have custody and be brought in that place and share the gospel. Paul said, you could do that with me. And you know what I'll rejoice about? I'll write four chapters to the Philippians while I'm doing that and tell them about the joy that I have found being incarcerated on a southern, lonely, barren, desert road, which I prefer not to be on, quite frankly. But I rejoice, and I'll say it again, I rejoice because the whole place has heard the gospel. Probably why I'm here. Because maybe it's not just about me. Maybe my Christian life has to do with serving God, his agenda, and helping others on the road he has me on. Maybe that's what's going on here. Sometimes we get to choose. Hey, do you, do you want to go to this place? And sometimes our life circumstances just take us down that road, but we should remember there's somebody who needs us down that road. Let me tell you uh, quick before we move on about one such road that I was on. Let me read a little bit of an obituary that I like to keep. Um, I'll just read the first little bunch here. It was in the San Francisco Chronicle this long because he did a lot of cool stuff. Lamming, comma, Dr. Robert Sr., March 25th, 1936 to September 8th, 2001, cherished father, friend, family dentist, 
died at UCSF on Saturday, 12 noon, of acute leukemia. He attended the University of Pacific College of Physicians and Surgeons, acting as the president of Delta Sigma Delta, uh, where he received his doctor of dental surgery degree in 1961, 1962. He married the love of his life and had four children. Upon graduation, he served in the United States Army, where he was captain in the dental corps. Quite extensive list, goes on and on. He died at UCSF in a bed next to my bed. Now, we were always put together. And he would always laugh and joke and say, how do I always get in the bed next to the preacher? (laughs) And then I would say, and how do I always get in a bed with a guy who always wants to drill people's teeth and make them miserable? (laughs) And I said, yeah, a lot of people don't like pastors. You know what? A lot of people hate dentists, sir. (laughs) They're afraid of both of us. We had a lot of good conversations. He's being treated for leukemia, me for my blood cancer, lymphoma. I noticed one day he was doing poorly. And I said, you know, it's a good time to ask Jesus Christ into your life. He goes, I got a daughter like you. And I said, oh, (laughs) that's too bad. What exactly did you mean by that? And he said, oh, she carries around a Bible. She's, she's an adult. She's telling me about Jesus. And, you know, I know she's right. And I know I need to. And I know I, I, I will. And I said, I know you will. You're going to write now, right? And he said, you're absolutely right. Let my wife come in. The daughter was there with her Bible. And we prayed. I'm hooked up to my chemotherapy. And he's hooked up to his. I'm in my jammies, just so you know. I know that was considered too much information. <laughs> so with my cords and everything, I just lead him to the Lord. It was precious. There were tears. He meant it, all right? The next week I saw him, he had deteriorated. We're both in the beds. He had an oxygen mask on. He looked at me, and the nurses came in, knew there was trouble. They wanted to move him to a private room so that they could be alone. And I knew what was happening. He looked at me, and he couldn't talk because he had oxygen. And he got really red eyes. And I saw the tears. And they started to move his bed by my bed. And he looked. Our eyes met. And he's crying. And he, through the mask, I saw, thank you. And I thought, you know what? I've been on this broken desert road for a year and a half. And I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad for him. Eternal destiny changed. The Lord saw this guy in advance and said, I need a missionary. I need an evangelist. I need a talker. I I need a crazy guy who's not shy and just going to just put it out there. Uh, Who do we got? Oh, all right. We got somebody, but he's going to have to get Hodgkin's lymphoma. Where do you, what road are you on right now? You're on a road. Northern roads have stops too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Thankfully, amen. (laughs) But the Southern Road, you know, the school, the career that went this way, the financial troubles that have diverted your life in this direction, um, the job, the family members that you didn't sign up for that are a lot of work. (laughs) Not, Not in this church, but in other churches, they do have those problems. Perhaps, might I suggest, 
that there's a reason beyond your comfort and your happiness, but right straight in line with the agenda of God to seek and to save the lost. If somebody has a hundred sheep, don't you go after the one lost and leave the 99 and go down that road until you find it? And then when you find it, you bring it back on your shoulders and guess who's rejoicing? The angels, again, because they're involved and they're cheering us on. It's a wonderful thing on the southern road. Keep your eyes peeled. It'll make your time on the road a lot more enjoyable. It'll go faster. Uh, It's a blessing. Um, Now, this soul is found number two, point number two. Here's our seeking soul on that broken road. This black Ethiopian... A dignitary, he's wealthy. Uh, he's come some thousand miles to worship the God of Israel. Somehow he's a believer in the God of Israel and he's searching and seeking. And he's on his way home now. He's the treasurer of Ethiopia. He has great authority under the queen there. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and now he's returning. And the good shepherd, what? He sees him, he sees him. He's, he's there. God knows this man. He knows his struggle. He knows his position in his native country. He knows why he came to Jerusalem. He knows the emptiness, the hole in his heart, the unsatisfied hunger. He has come, this man, as far as he can go without a Christian to help him. He's close. <laughs> this guy's a seeker, but he needs a little help. Do you feel how disappointed he is? I hope you do, because this guy's been through a lot. Great expense to get there. Many, many months of traveling. He's worshiped from afar. He gets to Jerusalem. Oh, excuse me. Uh, You're black and you're not an Israelite. You're not from this country. You'll worship up to here. So you'll have to keep your distance. I'm sorry. He got in because he's got a lot of money so he could talk to the religious leaders. All right. What did he get from them? Death. Death in the eyes. There's no life. He's like, here I am. I'm talking to you. You guys are the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas. Death, religion, hypocrisy. He smells it. It's like, ah, what? I came all the... He's saying the prayers. He's eating kosher. And he knows something's missing. I'm close. I can tell I'm here. I'm, I'm near. But there's someone, something's not quite here and connecting. Ask and you will find, love it, underline will, uh, that's the big deal of the po- Matthew 7, 7. Seek and you will find, period. Oh, there's no question. If you're a seeker, you will find. And this is a promise from Jesus Christ's lips. Knock and the door will be open to you. Now, here's a definition of a seeker, if ever we needed one. He's been to church, checked it out. You think your drive is far? He's been to church, maybe a thousand miles, all right? He's been involved in worship. He's trying. He's, he's bought a Bible, and he spent a lot of money on it. Now, it's in Greek. If he bought it in Ethiopia, it's in Greek. If he bought it in Jerusalem as a souvenir, it's in Hebrew. Either way, he had a lot of money to get that scroll. Not only is he, did he buy a Bible, go to church, and ask a lot of questions while he was there, he's reading the Bible, you know? I mean, a lot of people who say that they're seeking the truth, right? And then they'll tell me something like, uh, you know, there are a lot of contradictions in the Bible. Have you ever heard that before? 
And then I said, okay, I don't want the top three. I don't want a dozen. I'm not asking you for it because you said there was a ton, right? I, I just want an ounce. Just give me one. You said a ton. I'll just take one. Just give me one. Yeah, excuse me, sir. A, you don't even have a Bible, right? You don't have a Bible. You're not reading the Bible. Have you ever been to church? You haven't even been to church. How much are you a seeker if you've never even been to church? You never even opened a Bible. You never even bought a Bible. You're not talking to Christian friends. You're not a seeker. It's just a polite way of telling yourself that instead of saying that you're a rebel who doesn't want to yield his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we're going to be an undecided seeker. Listen, look, if you said to somebody, I'm looking for the sit-up machine, and someone tells you, it's under the bed, the <laughs> next day you say, I'm looking, oh, sorry, yours is under the bed. <laughs> I'll, I'll turn over here. All right. I'm looking for the sit-up machine. <laughs> Again, the second day, right? I'm still looking for the sit-up machine. I told you it's under the bed in the guest room. In the guest room. The next day, hey, I could swear that sit-up machine's got legs. It's got up and walked away. It's under the bed in the guest room where you full well know exactly where it is. And the fact that you know where it is and you can find it and use it, but you don't, means that you're not really interested in doing sit-ups. <laughs> you think you should do sit-ups. You know doing sit-ups is the right thing to do, but actually you're not going to do them because you're not interested in putting forth that effort. Amen? Amen. You still like me? I'm sorry to have to be the one to out your sit-up machine. <laughs> Maybe, Frank, if you would, whoops, sorry. <laughs> Not keep buying all these gadgets and put them all over the house and use them for three days and then, well, just kidding. All right, where were we? Well, Frank was leaving the church, but where was I? <laughs> All right, okay, so the truth seeker, he, he's going to get some answers here. Oh, collision course, it's time for them to meet. All right, so we, uh, I love, now the angel set him off in that direction, and the spirit, the Holy Spirit, hello, God, spirit in us can talk to this guy and say, hey, see the chariot, stay with it. The word in the Greek there called lao means glue, glue yourself to the chariot. And the spirit is thinking, he's smart enough to figure out once he gets in the vicinity, he knows my heart, he knows what he's supposed to be doing, I won't need to tell him the next thing to do because he can connect the dots once he hears the Bible being read. And so he arrives, he runs, of course, it's Philip, right? He's told, hey, see that chariot? Go over, stick yourself to it. He runs. He didn't even say run. But you know what? He's, not, he's got more than a chariot to catch. He's got to catch a text. He's reading the text. And so what is he? He's in the end of 52. He gets to, it's really like this. He gets to 53, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. 
And then you hear, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He was silent. He didn't open his mouth. He was cut off from the earth. Philip must be thinking, am I dreaming? Am I hearing this guy, this black Ethiopian is reciting a scripture from Isaiah? Only the most important scripture in the whole Old Testament to tell you who Jesus is. Out of an entire Old Testament, he, he times it down, this divine appointment, he divines it down to this, this exact verse, verse 7 and 8. Just, I'm sure Philip is like, this is unbelievable. And I, this is what I love. Like I said, the spirit doesn't have to say, now talk to him, now ask him a question, now get, try to find a way to get in there to help him. Doesn't have to do any of that. It's no kidding. No kidding, right? A non-believing friend confides. They have been going through so much, man. When it rains, it pours. I just don't know what to do. The angels are like... <laughs> yeah, you do. And then nothing, nothing. And the angels are like, are you kidding me? We set the whole thing up and you missed it. You know, thinking like that, a coworker talking on the phone comes back to her desk, ladies, in tears. She's been crying. She looks over at you in an inviting way. <laughs> you, come on. Angels have been involved. People have been praying for her. Jesus has been interceding. Put you in the job for that moment. You don't even think like that. You don't even think. Somebody could come to me and say, Pastor Ross, I don't think like that, period. Let me tell you how you could say this in a better grammatical way. Pastor Ross, comma, because I was an English teacher. <laughs> I don't think that way, semicolon, however, comma. I'm going to start thinking that way with the help of God's spirit. Amen. That's why we're here. We don't all gonna be evangelists and nor do we talk to every single person we see because that will make you crazy and them crazy. We need less crazy people in this world, so don't do that. But, oh, friend of mine, when it's really obvious that there's been some preparation and that you've got an open window. I remember the time I've used this before because it was so screaming, Reinman, open mouth. We were in the employee lounge at the place, I, the college I was teaching at, and everybody's reading the paper and eating their lunch. It was packed. It was kind of quiet, and one guy's reading the paper, and he says, oh, plane crash. I wonder, I wonder what it's like to die. And everybody chimes in, yeah, I wonder if it hurts to die. Yeah, they're talking. About it. I'm minding my own business, right? And then it says, well, I guess we'll never know because nobody's died and come back to tell us about it. <laughs> and then there was this pause, this pause, and I just could feel the, the wind kind of settle in. <laughs> nobody's ever died and come back to tell us about it. Except Jesus, Jesus the Lord, that's kind of the whole point. He died, rose from the dead to give us eternal life. I couldn't live with myself if, if that window shut. You know? I mean, come on. We need to be looking for windows. Amen? Amen. All righty. So verse 30, Philip butts in. Now, a lot of people say, excuse me, there are two things, Philip, you don't understand. Uh, we don't talk about politics or religion, right? But here in verse 30, he butts in because when there's a setup, 
and a prompting, it is your business. You are your brother's keeper. And so he butts in. He says, I see you're reading Isaiah. Do you get it? And here comes the response. Uh, no, how can I? I don't have a teacher. I don't have someone to explain it to me. And then Philip's like, and so he says, come on up here. Sit down with me. And uh, here's the thing that I took away from that. Uh, this man is not illiterate. He can read. He probably reads and speaks probably three languages, Greek, Hebrew, and his native tongue. Tongues. Those kinds of people, they, they just don't stop at three. They keep going, and we hate them for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we speak American. That's one, one language. We're the, we're, yeah, there's a joke about that, but I just messed it up, so. Listen, uh, I'm not illiterate. I can read the words. I speak Hebrew, Greek, and my native tongues. I'm very smart. I am, got great influence in Ethiopia. I live in a palace. I can manage the funds for the entire nation of Ethiopia. I didn't get in my position by being stupid or by chance. But when it comes to the Bible, I need a teacher. We need teachers. Ephesians 4, verse 11. God gifts the body of Christ. Teachers and pastors who have a teaching calling and gifting that takes a paragraph of scripture and, and, and we look at it and, and it's like, oh, I wonder how he's going to talk about 45 minutes from that. And there are connections and, and illustrations and things come together because of the gift of the teaching. I, I was in seminary 10 years under teachers. I have favorite teachers that I listen to every week. And I think I can't wait till he gets to that verse because I wonder, there's a, I don't, I don't. And then he says it, and I'm like, oh, man, I would have never made that connection without a teacher. We can get the basics, but I'll tell you what, God knows we all need teachers. And there's a current, like, unpopularity about the church these days. We need teachers. We need teachers. And down the lonely road, and then seeking the soul here, seeking soul, I should say, and now it's time for the good news. Last point. So Philip is going to, and I think this is the most important part, Philip is, is going to be uh, taking the seeker from a sticking point to the good news of Jesus. He starts where they're stuck. Hey, I'm stuck here. Who is this guy? Is it him? The prophet's talking. Is it somebody else? Help me get over this one thing. I, I'm really stuck here. And so he's going to help him. Uh, go from where he's stuck to where he's not stuck anymore in Jesus. And so uh, he, he's, going to, he's, going to, he's going to answer all his objections and take him to the good news that way. And so that's what we need to do. When somebody's hurting at their felt need, we show how Jesus and the good news about him answers their sticking point. You know, when somebody has got a sticking point with evolution, it would do us well to just kind of point out all the marvelous mysteries of God's universe, talk about Christian scientists, those kinds of things really help people. When people are stuck on sexuality, to talk about the, the power of God to transform and to make new. And, and, you know, people who have sexual orientation issues, the gospel is so inviting. It's such a message of healing and transformation and soul satisfaction because when, when you are out 
of God's design and trying to make something work that God didn't design that way, you are denied soul satisfaction. No matter what your face may say or what you may say out loud, you cannot have soul happiness or contentment, whatever lifestyle you're leading that is counterproductive to God's design. And so we, we make use of that wherever it is. If they don't see a need, Hey, that's my stuck. My sticking place is I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I live a better life than a lot of Christians I know. That's their sticking point. Sticking point, right? Well, help them bring out the Ten Commandments. Well, let's see how good you are, sir. You know, have you ever lied? <laughs> well, yeah, I lie. You know, who doesn't? Okay, well, I didn't ask that. All I'm asking about you. All right. Have you ever taken anything that didn't uh, belong to you? Yeah, yeah. What do you call that? Uh, that would be a thief. All right, so, so far you're a lying thief. <laughs> All right. Uh, 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 how about the commandment about adultery and sexual immorality? How are you doing there? Do you ever lust? Because Jesus said you lust, you know, you might as well commit adultery because that's what you really are. Have you ever lust, sir? Well, yeah. Okay, so you're sexually immoral, lying thief. <laughs> but you don't see a need morally in your life to for God. You see, so you, you go to where they're at and take them to the good news of Jesus. I do want to say, caution. Philip knows enough to lead him to the good news of Jesus, not to tell him you need to change your life, your customs, your eating habits. You need to stop using those kinds of words. You need to vote like me politically. Uh, issues, lifestyle issues, homosexuality. Uh, when, we, when we talk about people... Jesus. We talk about Jesus, not gay or straight. We talk about Jesus because you can be an upright, moral person who pays your taxes and uh, is very morally inclined, a nice person, and still perish. You can have social justice as your cause. These are things that the gospel speaks to for sure, but they are not the saving gospel. So let's not get the cart before the horse. Our Jesus will speak about such things in his time and his way, but it really doesn't matter if you don't know Christ as your savior, the good news about him. It's not about a lifestyle, it's about a life giver, Jesus Christ. And so uh, the guy gets it, love it. There's a bingo moment, you know, they're riding along and the chariots traveling, and a rare sight comes up. There's a pool of water. And, and so the eunuch says, I love this, don't you? The eunuch says, let's do this. There's water. Why can't I be baptized right now? Uh, no nagging. No, no pleading. No cajoling. Nothing. This is how you know when the Holy Spirit comes into somebody's heart. There's transformation. There's a willingness to want to please God. Nobody has to tell them anything. When the Holy Spirit gets into them, they got the basics. They may need to be taught the details, but they got the basics. They don't need to be told, stop doing porn. If you need to be told, stop doing porn, because you're still doing porn, hallelujah, praise the Lord, there's something wrong with you. This guy's, hey, water, me, saved. Baptism, now. What about your friends and family? Hello, it's about me and my obedience to God. I don't need my friends and family here. It's obedience to God. I saw it happening in Jerusalem. I want that. I'm one of them. Now, stop. <laughs> That's what he did. 
he gives the, gives the command to stop the chariot. When I fell in love with this green-eyed, blonde, beautiful, godly woman, Barbara, nobody took me aside and said, Ross, come here. Psst. This means no other girlfriends. You can't have girlfriends on the side. Who are you? And get away from me, right? I don't need to be told that. If I do need to be told that, I don't love Barb, all right? So this guy just gets it. He knows it's happening to him. It's a beautiful thing. Interesting, now, Philip is raptured. Now, seriously, raptured to be caught up, taken, taken away. Verse 39, he's saying this thing. He's in the water. He's saying, let's pray. And now, on, upon your profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how I do it. Uh, grab a hold of here, okay. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the way back. That's what I say. All the way back. And bring him up. <laughs> He's gone. He disappears. What is up with that? that? That's my first thing. When I read that, it's like, uh, did anybody see that? What, what, what's the meaning of that? Well, first of all, it confirms to the eunuch who will be the very first missionary in the world to take the gospel out of Israel. He's going to be on fire. All right? And now he knows this was all from God. This was all supernatural. Everything about it, I found the real deal. All right? Now, the, the guy disappearing on him certainly has lit the fuse to, to bring the big bang. All right? So when he goes back, does he have a story or what? <laughs> when he goes back, he's going, where do I start? He's, he's telling it in the chariot, trying to jump off and tell the queen all the royal officials, all the Ethiopians on the way, everybody he sees, let me tell you, I went up and it didn't happen. I come down, I'm reading in the sky. He's running alongside, I get him in here and then bam and boom and gone. <laughs> very nice. The second thing that I throw in at you is very uh, exciting. One writer put it this way. Now why the strange miracle? Why only to Philip? Why at this moment in time, what might the Lord be trying to say? Well, it's of interest that Philip disappears in the context of world evangelization. That is, here we have the first moment of the Great Commission being fulfilled. And when Philip completes his task, he's removed from the scene. Might God be implying that as the church picks up where Philip left off and completes her task of world evangelization, evangelization and the full number of Gentile souls that are to be saved comes in, then all the Philips of this life, the bearers of the gospel, will be like Philip, caught up and taken away, and the world never sees them again. You know what? You don't have to believe that to be saved, but... Uh, it's very intriguing thought indeed. Also, there's the practical concern. Can you imagine, Philip? He doesn't know how he's getting back, right? So they're on the chariot, and the horses are running, trotting, and he is leaving his home, right? So how long did they talk? The whole afternoon? A hundred miles of talking, probably, right? He's eyeballing the landscape. Uh, I don't recognize that anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, there are a lot of snakes. There's no water. Does he have money? He has nothing. He's seeking, how am I getting back? 
Am I going all the way to Ethiopia? And so the Lord says, look, relax. I, I, I factored that into this whole thing. And so he brings him back. You know, instead of dropping him off, he's going to walk now 100 miles in the desert. He's going to die. The Lord says, look, I got that covered. I reserved a, a, a seat for you at Rapture Express. That's <laughs> the wonderful thing. Now, for me, the takeaway is the road, the road that we're on. And I'll tell you what, whether it's north, south, east, or west, you're on a road, a race has been set before you, and it's not solely about you. It's about God's will. It's about saving souls. It's about impacting them. And as I've said many times, it's not so much that you have to be an evangelist like Philip because you're a mom with your little kids or, or you're, you're an introverted person. But, but there are so many ways that we let our light shine before the Lord and, and to care, to be concerned that maybe I'm on this path because somebody needs me. Somebody needs the Lord. And it's my job to find them and to minister and to be about doing my Father's business. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this delightful account of a, of a young man who just has a heart to serve, a wonderful divine appointment, which is inspiring. Lord, we want to be like Philip. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be a help and not a hindrance. So touch our hearts, Lord. Open our eyes and give us the compassion we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand. Closing song. In one sentence, I'm going to give you a truth from the Proverbs that could be life-changing, be the answer that you're looking for. He who, who refreshes others shall himself be refreshed. The way to find life and excitement and enthusiasm and hope and meaning is not inward. The answer is serving outward, looking outward, getting out of your own head and your own problems and your own feelings and your own circumstances. That's poison to the Christian life and to your happiness. By the grace of God, may all of us just repent of that constant self-absorption and to look out and see the guy in the cubicle, the person on the plane next to us, the, the life at the Thanksgiving table, instead of as affronts to us and inconveniences, as mission, as mission. And in doing so, you're going to find this joy and this excitement. And I truly believe, I really believe this, that there are people here this morning that are just wanting, where's that joy and that satisfaction? That, my friend, is the missing link. Make others the focal point of your life, and you'll be like Christ, and you'll be blessed, especially doing the job nobody else wants to do, washing dirty feet like our Lord. He said, boy, if you imitate me, he says, you'll be happy. That's where it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray for the grace to keep these truths right in the foreground. Lord, so quickly we wander back to ourselves. Help us to be all about uh, making others 
stronger, blessing them, encouraging them, and, and finding the life that comes back to fill our own hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.